From COK Studios in Jesse Thorne's humidor, this is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Cordell Nutbrook. On today's show, we'll consider the stories of the volunteers who helped to decorate the White House for Christmas in our series, Consider Ourselves. We'll also consider the best books of 2014 with Lynn Ruffle in our Book Look segment. And we'll consider why the Jonas Brothers won't reply to my emails. Stay with us. Support for Consider Our Knowledge comes from PBN and Masterpiece, now showing Charlotte Bronte's seminal classic, Two Debbies, starring Leah Malworth as Deborah Giddens and Stacey Rook Meyer as Deborah Lakeworth. Check local listings for showtimes. And Manger Danger, America's top manger repair and restoration company. Don't let your manger become a danger. Call Manger Danger today for a free estimate. This is Consider Our Knowledge. I'm Connor Bentley. And I'm Cordell Nutbrook. With riots and terrorism and disease populating the news in recent months, it's become more and more difficult to find uplifting and heartwarming stories to cover. In the spirit of the holidays, we searched for a story this week that would help to take the attention off of some of these troubling news items. As a media outlet, we want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Exactly. As part of our series on America, Consider Ourselves, we sent Cordell to cover the annual decoration of the White House. We hope that this segment can, in some way, give our listeners a boost and profile some really fun, helpful people. Indeed. The White House is decked out in miles of ribbon and fresh garland, gold leaf and sparkling crystal accents, 26 Christmas trees and even animated replicas of the first dogs, Sunny and Bo. Getting the executive mansion ready for the tens of thousands of visitors who will walk through in the coming days took hundreds of hours and about a hundred volunteers. I was lucky that my public radio credentials allowed me to tour around and watch as these fine Americans showed their love of the holiday and their country. Hey, give me those scissors! Hey, you jerk! Shut up! The mood was not as warm and full of holiday cheer as I had hoped. I asked longtime volunteer and professional florist Marge Simonson of Illinois if it was always like this. Oh, yeah. It's a real bloodbath when we're decorating. Did you see it? that numbnuts over there fall down while he was putting ornaments on his tree? Uh, yes. I tied his shoelaces together when he wasn't looking. There's no way his stupid Civil War remembrance tree is going to outshine my Heroes of World War II tree. I made sure of that. While all of the volunteers are honored and humbled by being chosen to decorate the White House, there is a palpable tension that pervades the entire building. Stan Jessup is a retired Air Force pilot who wanted to come and be a part of the festivities. It's amazing to be here and to be part of this. What made you want to come and hang ornaments and garland? Felt like a good way to be part of a proud tradition. I also wanted to show up those Navy pilot losers who signed up to decorate. Look at the way they hung that garland around the portrait of Abraham Lincoln. What kind of crappy job may cut it in the Navy? Not the Air Force. We have some pride in our nation. President Lincoln must be rolling around in his grave. While the White House decorating process is not billed as a competition, it certainly began to feel that way as I continued to talk to the volunteers. I asked Clint Young, a graphic designer from Phoenix, why there was so much negative energy at an event designed to bring out the holiday spirit and national unity. 
It's the American way. Everybody wants to win and be the best. It's not a competition, though. Life is a competition. If we get all hippy-dippy kumbaya in here, then the terrorists win, man. We need to be the best. I want to show those pussies from Texas how we hang lights and tie bows in Arizona. Did you see my Christmas tree? I'm not sure. It's the one with all the anti-immigration ornaments. I know my anti-immigration tree will make the Texas anti-immigration tree look like it was done by a two-year-old. I use real barbed wire and everything. My fingers were all ripped up, but I think it was worth it. Clearly something designed to inspire hope and good feelings has been ruined once again by the default American mentality of needing to be the best. While the White House does look lovely, there is no way to find Christmas cheer amongst the acrimony and competitive bitterness of the volunteers. Reporting from Washington, I'm Cordell Nutbrock. I'm sorry, Connor, but it appears that it's even harder than we thought to find some good news right now. That's too bad. Now we turn to Book Look. Lynn Ruffle is back to recap her favorite books of 2014 just in time for your holiday shopping. Nice to have you back, Lynn. Season's greetings, Connor. So there were a lot of good books this year. Indeed there were. I had a hard time paring my list down to just a few for the show. I want to say that this is not a best of list, but just some of my suggestions for our listeners. Okay then, so what's on your list? Well, one of my favorites this year was The Bees by Laleen Paul. The Beads? The Bees. Oh, okay, sorry, I'm on board now. A riveting dystopian story set inside a beehive, The Bees tells the story of a worker bee, Flora 717, from her lowly hatching to her hive-saving heroism to her inadvertent leadership of a revolution against the hive's sage priestesses. It's a very interesting and well-written book. So, I'm assuming it's a metaphor for humanity. Oh, I suppose it is. I really was just fascinated by the bee culture. They're really much smarter and more sentient bugs than I thought. I mean, who would have thought that bees have names and can think, emote, and even champion a revolution? Not me. I thought they were just little pollinators, but they're so much more. I'll never look at honey the same way again. Well, I don't think bees are actually capable of all that. It's just a metaphor, like I said before. Have you ever spent time in a hive, Connor? No. So, you're in no position to say what bees can and can't do. I guess not. Uh, now, what other books caught your eye this year? Another one is Heap House by Edward Carey. At the very end of the grimy burrow of filching sits Heap House, home to the Ironmonger family, uniquely suited to tending the heaps, mountains of refuse and salvage so immense that they've created their own microclimate. Each ironmonger has a birth object, a seemingly random item to which he must always be near, lest he sicken and fade away. Oh, it sounds like a fun one. It is. The tone is both dark and whimsical with fun, interesting characters. The book really reminded me of summers spent at my grandparents' house. Why is that? They were notorious hoarders, and the giant piles of trash and refuse in Heap House took me back to hot days with my cousins, playing Find the Cat Skull among the stacks and stacks of old newspapers, and dodging collapsing piles of unwashed laundry while trying to block out the stench of rotten food and used adult diapers. Those were fun times, until my grandma was crushed by the hutch containing her Beanie Baby collection. Well, I'm really sorry about that. M moving on... 
My final favorite from 2014 is a nonfiction book from Griel Marcus, The History of Rock and Roll in Ten Songs. It's a must-read for anyone who is a fan of rock music. I'll bet. I don't really care much for rock music myself, but I have to say that I might have to check out some of the songs he discusses in the book. I was surprised at how he didn't even mention the impact of some really important bands. Like who? The Backstreet Boys. In sync. I mean, at least mention 98 Degrees. They had a huge influence on One Direction. Their song, Because of You, was my 1998. While this book is very good, there's obviously some gaping holes. Okay, well, now before you go, I want to ask you about your role as a writer on the new PBN Masterpiece series, Two Debbies. (laughs) Well, I got asked to punch up the script because I'm an expert on Charlotte Bronte's work, especially the oft-forgotten novel, Two Debbies. Well, I think we have a clip. Would you care to set it up? Yes. Here is part one, starring Leah Malworth as Deborah Giddens, Stacey Rookmeyer as Lady Deborah Lakeworth, and Sir Reginald Puttenham as Bosworth. Sound editing was by Jonathan Durpin, script by Cameron Murphy and <laughs> Lynn Ruffle, and it was directed by H.L. Wisely. Lady Giddens, may I introduce you to Lady Deborah Lakeworth? Oh, please, do call me Debbie. But I am a Debbie as well. That was part one of Charlotte Bronte's seminal classic, Two Debbies, starring Leah Malworth as Deborah Giddens, Stacey Rookmeyer as Deborah Lakeworth, and Sir Reginald Puttenham as Bosworth. Sound editing was by Jonathan Durpin, script by Cameron Murphy, and yours truly, and it was directed by Peabody Award winner H.L. Wisely. Tune in next week for part two, entitled Another Debbie? Well, I'm sure we'll all tune in. Thanks for coming by, Lynn. It's always nice to be here. That was Book Look with Lynn Ruffle. That's all for this week's episode of Consider Our Knowledge. If you want more from the best-looking news team in public radio, check out our website, considerourknowledge.com. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Consider Our Know. The podcast is available for download at iTunes and at Stitcher Radio at Stitcher.com. If you're a regular listener of Consider Our Knowledge, don't forget you can support Consider Our Knowledge by clicking the Support COK button on our homepage and donate via Patreon. It is the season of giving, so consider giving a little to your favorite NPR parody podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Connor Bentley. Now we turn to Book Look with Lynn Ruffle. No, now we turn to Book Look. No? <laughs> no? Right now? No. no? no. Uh, here we go. Not now, now. <laughs> then. When? When will then be now? No. Soon. Soon.